Welcome to the Education Innovators Podcast. I'm Eric Byron, and it's an honor to host this show where we get to hear from talented educators who are willing to share their stories of the incredible things they are doing in learning environments all over the world. And this is AI readiness. And I think this is really important because AI literacy is just the foundational knowledge, right? Understanding the technical aspect and how AI works, the uh, what is machine learning and so on. But are faculty members AI ready? Do they understand the societal implications and the consequences of AI being used and being implemented across tools and so on? just a taste of what is to come in this episode with Dr. Sean McMinn. We get into the real nuts and bolts of what he and his team are doing to get faculty members AI ready and other innovation initiatives across the campus of the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. This is part one of two of my recent conversation with Sean. Welcome to the show. This is uh, Eric Byron. This is the Education Innovators Podcast, and I have with me Dr. Sean McMinn. And Sean is the director of the Center for Educational, excuse me, the Center for Education Innovation at the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. From here on, we'll just call that HKUST because it's easier. He has over 20 years experience in the higher education field. He won the 2016 SHSS Teaching Excellence Award, maybe later you can explain what that is, and the 2007 Teaching Innovation Award for his work with podcasts and education at HKUST. Sean holds a PhD in e-research and technology-enhanced learning from Lancaster University in the United Kingdom, and he's taken up various teaching and leadership roles at HKUST and the Hong Kong Polytechnic University. He has interests in education technology, digital if I could talk, <laughs> digital literacies and networked learning and has published and presented at international conferences on these subjects. So that's quite a bio. It was hard to say. So many big words yeah. in there. Yes, impressive. Of course, I looked at your profile online and you know LinkedIn and all. You had quite an, an, an ascension, if you will, from an English teacher up to director of English language education at the, uh, the Hong Kong Polytechnic. From here on, I'll just call it the PolyU. And yeah. um, and and now you're at HKUST here, you know, director of the the Center for Education Innovation. So, what is your superpower, Sean? <laughs> it looks like a quick ascension, but it, it wasn't. It was a lot of uh, hard work in the background. Uh, you mentioned the, uh, the award, the 2007 on podcasting. Let's go back to that, actually. Okay. I, I've been heavily involved with the Center for Education Innovation for a number of years, going back all the way to 2007, uh, when it was, the center was called KELT, actually, at that time, Center for Enhanced Learning and Teaching, I think, was the acronym. And... Um, so I've done a lot of work when it comes to uh, technology-enhanced teaching and learning, uh, pedagogical innovation. Uh, and so through networks and through uh, working with various stakeholders, um, I've been doing things in this area for a number of years. 
so when the opportunity came to say, hey, would you like to lead? Uh, I said, well, yeah, I mean, I've been working with you guys for a long time. I would be more than happy uh, to, 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 do, to do this. And uh, UST has always been an excellent place to work. Probably use an excellent place as well. But uh, UST is, uh, I, I know a lot of people here uh, across different departments. So um, it looks like a quick ascension, but it's just basically me continuing a lot of the similar work that I've been doing for a long time. Yeah. Well, and thank you for being on the show because yes, you really are an expert in so many of the things that I want to talk about on this podcast. So thank you for being willing to share. Let's, let's talk a bit. I, I know you've done a lot of writing about generative AI and the implications there. I get your newsletter. Um, I'm, I'm going to grill you on a couple of things there. Oh, please up. do. Yeah. <laughs> but before we go too deep into the AI piece, I want to ask about other areas of innovation. So your department is, you know, center for, you know, education innovation. There must be other things you guys are also doing. So tell me a little bit about that. What other stuff is going on within the HKUST environment? Oh, of course. Yeah. Happy to explain that and talk a little bit about that. Pedagogic innovation is such a broad term, right? It can cover a lot of things. We look at experiential learning, for example, as pedagogical innovation uh, within our classes. You know, a higher education tends to, it, it, it's slow to change, right? We're, this is a worldwide phenomenon. And experiential learning isn't anything new, but at the same time, to some faculty members, it is new. So our role is to help uh, them explore, well, what does it mean? What is experiential learning? It's, it means giving students feedback through a process-oriented approach to teaching and learning, getting out there into a real-world task, applying real-world solutions to real-world problems, right? So our center helps guide faculty members uh, with this type of uh, method uh, or approach to teaching and learning. But we also look at other uh, technologies as well. It's not just about approaches, but it's also technologies such as VR uh, and AR. And these are becoming increasingly accessible to students. Um, uh, think about the Oculus and how it's a lot more accessible uh, to, to, to teaching and learning or to students than it was in the past. So we're exploring virtual labs, how we might develop biological twins, not just a campus twin, but a biological twin. What I mean by that, like... Digital uh, twin? It, a digital twin in the sense that traditionally in a lab, student might have to dissect a rat, for example. Okay. Well, can we create a digital twin of that rat so that they can uh, experiment or learn some basics before they actually go into the physical lab. Yep. All right. Uh, so that's what I mean. Right? We're exploring different areas that are related to that. Augmented reality would be another area. And then, of course, gamification. Uh, and in gamification, we're looking at simple designing game boards, a physical game board or card games like Magic, if you, if you ever played Magic. So using these as methods to enhance and gamify a lesson or a tutorial. So as you said, it's not just AI. We're, we're looking at multiple areas. Yeah. So for an example, let's say mm. I'm a faculty member and my primary presentation mode is lecture. And yeah. I come to you and say, all right, experiential learning, what, what do I need to do? What, what kind of services does your department help them with? How do you come alongside them and help? So we do it in multiple ways. One, we offer teaching development grants or uh, small 
funding for projects for them to convert their course into an experiential course or a blended course or test gamification. Generally, it's around $250,000 per project, uh, Hong Kong dollars. And we assign an instructional designer or some sort of educational development manager to the faculty member, and they work along with them to help develop and redesign the course. And we always want to make sure that it's appropriate to the course, right? We don't want to just say, hey, make an experience uh, or make it or gamify it just for the sake of it. We want to make sure it's appropriate to the learning outcomes of the course. Um, so that's one way through project development. Sorry, I'm or gonna... we just... I want to dig a little bit on that. So what makes a course, makes it more appropriate or less appropriate? Give me an example of a course that doesn't really fit the model that should be lecture-based. Oh, that should be lecture-based. That's a good question. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Because I'm an I. Don't really advocate lecture-based. Period. I either. That's why I was to, curious. To, yeah. No, but I guess my point was: Would gamifying be appropriate for a particular okay. kind of con- a course, right? Or yeah. experiential learning? Um, we always advocate active learning in general, right? And not just lecture, passive lecturing. Uh, so the, the the point would be: Can you gamify the lesson? And if so, why? And quite often we'll have a lecture or a faculty member come to us and say, well, I want to gamify. That sounds interesting. And their approach is just giving quizzes and, and rewards through medals. Right. And they said, badges, this is gamifying a course. And we said, no, that's not quite right. Right. And it's still reinforcing a passive lecture based approach. Right. Uh, so then we say, well, can you break up the lectures in, in a way where maybe you might lecture for a little bit, but then give them a task uh, where they have to solve an issue, solve a problem. And if they complete stages within this problem, they're rewarded with uh, cards and these cards unlock new clues or capabilities that your students have. And then with those, then they can maybe solve the problem in a different way and then have a discussion of that experience and give them feedback. I mean, I'm giving a very general kind of example here, but the point is uh, we're trying to show them that there's different ways that students can experience the content and the knowledge and they're applying it as opposed to then just passively listening to uh, a lecture. Yeah. Yeah. How receptive would you say the faculty has been to this? Are they coming and asking for help or is this more of a <laughs> seek out and target somebody say, we want to revamp your course? It's a bit of both, right? You'll have faculty members, and I'm thinking this is a worldwide thing. You, you have faculty members who say, no, this is how I learn. I learn by listening in a lecture theater, and therefore, this is the best way. And their mindset is very difficult to change. But I think we're starting to see increasingly uh, more young faculty members coming in that realize, well, no, that's not a really good way of learning, and, and that's not how I learned. And we want more active learning. And uh, but we don't have the guidance in that. So they're coming to us with questions. So it's a bit of a mix. Uh, A lot of it, I think, at a university, at an institutional level, some of it does need to be top down. You need to have this in the strategy, uh, the university strategy for teaching and learning. So it needs to be top down to say, hey, we promote active learning and it's in our strategy policy. Uh, as an institution. So it needs to come top down as well. Otherwise, you will have faculty members who just say, well, no, I 
teach. This is the way I've always taught. This is how I learned. And of course, you have faculty members who their focus is on research and, and, and they want the least resistance when it comes to teaching and learning. Uh, so therefore, lecturing is easy. Multiple choice exams are easy to grade. It can be automated and so on. Uh, now I can focus more on research. Uh, so it's it, it's a very complex problem. And we just we're more of an advocator than we are uh, an implementer in that sense. We advocate the best practices. And if you come to us, we'll happily help you uh, and we'll spread out the information as much as we can. We can't force people with their mindset. Yeah, can't force it. So how do you hit your metrics then? So you must have objectives. You have some kind of, well, we talked earlier, right? Your boss and your budgets, right? So you've got somebody who's coming to you saying, you got to hit some kind of milestones or benchmarks. What are your measures that you've got to hit? Our measures, well, we, as I mentioned, we, we have these projects that we fund and we have three different types of categories. One is we call the Teaching Learning Innovative Pedagogy Grant. And then the other one we have is Blended and MOOC Grant. And then we have now the Edge AI, which is Educational and Generative AI Grant. And so to answer your question, our metrics are how well these projects are implemented and whether or not they're scaled up and whether or not other courses adopt the methodologies that uh, are incubated and developed through these projects, right? So we do we evaluate, uh, interview students, uh, we send out surveys, and we also interview the, the faculty members who are leading these projects to do both the quantitative and qualitative. So that's one measurement, right? An evaluation of the projects. The other one is... Uh, how many teachers are adopting uh, these new methods, right? So we are asking teachers, for example, um, four very simple questions. Are you allowing AI in the classroom? Are you disallowing it? Or are you limiting how it's being used? Uh, or is it free for all? And then uh, why? And we, we are asking faculty members these questions in a survey. And that gives us some insight on adoption for integration of AI and teaching and learning. And we've done similar things with blended learning. So a lot of it is uh, through project evaluation, but also surveys and then focus group with t- students and teachers yeah. uh, just to evaluate how well. Just curious. So how many times have you run the survey on the use of AI and how much have the results changed if you've done it more than once? We have done it twice, but we're collecting the data for the second one now, right? So I can't comment on the results of the second one. But the first one, uh, the result was actually quite surprising in the sense that over 70% across holistic, we're looking at the entire university, said that they will allow the use of AI in one form or another, right? Uh, right. Because they recognize uh, that um, it's going to become uh, ubiquitous within uh, uh, the world right now, right? It's going to be used and we need to accept and embrace its role in the world, right? So quite overwhelmingly, it was positive. And those that said that they would not use it, it tends to be because they're trying to measure something that they want to make sure that it is the result of the individual and not AI assisted on the assessment side, right? right? And that's things ranging from your proficiency in English or, or second language, right? If, I, if I'm if i listening to you or if, if you're writing, is it really your work? 
right? So in that sense, they want to have a closed book exam, which I can understand. Right. Yeah, no, that's a whole topic area there around assessments and the correct yeah. use. And uh, we're going to come back to that. Your newsletter, you have this newsletter and uh, in one of the recent ones here, you provided a list of seven principles for teacher development. And well, first of all, I want to praise you because I love the fact that your newsletters are very practical, right? These are not just theoretical statements out there. You really try to lay out frameworks and, and give people tools they can use. And so you put out these seven principles. And the very first one is basically uh, developing AI literacy and competency. So this is for yeah. faculty, right? Yeah. So driving it to professional development for faculty. So how do you do this uh, within HKUST? So how are you guys trying to drive AI literacy and competency within the faculty there? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I mean, this is, I think it was the first principle that I was. put in that yeah. list, wasn't it? Yeah, because I think this is really important. But there's a lot of talk about AI literacy. And uh, this isn't my term. I'm borrowing this from Rose Luckin, uh, Professor Rose Luckin out of the UK. And this is AI readiness. And I think this is really important because AI literacy is just the foundational knowledge, right? Understanding the technical aspect and how AI works, the uh, what is machine learning and so on. But are faculty members AI ready? Do they understand the societal implications and the consequences of AI being used and being implemented across tools and so on? So that's important. Therefore, we've made that as a primary focus to raise faculty's awareness that they need to be AI ready. And to do that, uh, we've taken a multi-pronged approach to this. And one is we've offered face-to-face -face workshops. Um, we've invited external consultants uh, last, last spring to give a workshop on prompt engineering. Um, we've had follow-up face-to-face uh, workshop with faculty members to talk about recent changes. We did that in August, I think it was, uh, because things have been rapidly changing. So this is the face-to-face -face end of things. But on top of that, we've designed a series of self-paced online courses for faculty members where they'll receive badges because we want them to show evidence for their professional development and their appraisal system, right? Yeah. So we want to see show them that they get some reward out of this. But these self-paced uh, uh, online courses are designed to help uh, faculty members also think about AI readiness and assessment design and what does that mean for teaching and learning and what is prompt engineering. On top of that, we work Sorry, with quick our question on on that. Did you guys develop those courses, or is that yes. something you brought in? Okay, so you did develop. No, we developed. Yeah, yeah. So okay. CEIs developed that, um, uh, where we have instructional videos. Some they're very simple. They're very simple modules. Uh, each module is about three hours. Includes some lecture videos, some in-video quizzes, and then some quizzes afterwards, and then opportunity to discuss if they want on an online discussion forum. The important part of this is it's flexible and, and faculty members can come and take it if they want at their own pace. Right. So uh, and then on top of that, uh, we've developed a policy and we're circulating the policy among faculty members to make sure that they're aware of the policy. What are their options? We've made it as flexible 
as possible. And we've empowered faculty members so that they can choose uh, how they want to adopt it within the classroom. And then we've also involved stakeholders, both students and faculty members, to set up a task force to explore how we might prepare faculty members uh, uh, for this change, uh, right, with AI. So we're taking a multi-pronged approach in order to raise uh, AI literacy and, co- and competency within the institution. Uh, so how are you measuring, di- measuring the effectiveness of your own courses there for the faculty? How do you know if yeah. it's working? Are they getting it? Are they ready? Well, we just launched it, right? We just oh. launched those in, in August. Uh, and how we plan to measure it is, yeah, interview a few to see whether or not they find uh, it, it useful and then also conduct a survey. So we want to, for quality assurance purposes, of course, we want yeah. to do that. Anecdotally, I have talked to a couple already and they have expressed uh, that they find it very helpful and it's helped them rethink the issue. And I think that's the key question, right? This is all about AI readiness. It, 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 we need to rethink how we teach and learn in some ways, right? Yeah. Not all sorry, courses, I'm, but... I'm very curious. So yeah. uh, is this tied to an LMS? So like you can yeah. track how much time a faculty member spends, what courses Correct. they take, what order they take them in. It's yeah. kind of self-learning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's all it's all tied. So we're using Canvas and we're using Badger, the micro-credentialing system within Canvas. And so we have all the statistics, uh, the number of people that have signed up for the courses, uh, the progress, what quizzes, how well they've done on the quizzes. Uh, we've, we have all that data. Yeah, good. Yeah, that's um, really important, obviously, and the ability later to go back and figure out if there's certain modules that for some reason, aren't working well, and why aren't they? And let's exactly, them. and yes, right. What are people using, yeah. and and how are they applying it? This is something I, I always find um, challenging in any of these. And obviously, I've done some university courses, but I've also uh, I've done some games too for yeah. uh, the Polytechnic University. And you know, is how do you know if they use what they learned later? So in this case, you're you're teaching them to be more literate in AI, um, hopefully AI ready, but isn't the real measure if they go back and they implement something in their classes, um, even if it's for them, right? If they use it to help them be more effective um, in putting yeah. together their course materials and um, or grading and assessments, or you know, if they're using it just so they can spend more time with their students instead of preparing for class, um, that's a win, right? But do you got some examples already, cases where you've seen faculty kind of go through uh, some of this? I can, yeah, I can sh- yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I can share an example. I had coffee with a colleague this morning and this colleague was telling me, and they just finished taking one of these online modules that we developed on prompt engineering and, and then the other one on assessment design. And they said, thank you. I found it helpful. And it made me rethink the whole role of prompt engineering. And our conversation led to talking about metacognition and how quite often, this is a language course, by the way, a technical writing course for engineering students. And quite often when it comes to metacognition, some courses, in my experience, we haven't been very good at embedding metacognition 
into the course learning materials, right? We might write a reflection question, ask students to reflect on this, but it's a bit hokey pokey, right? <laughs> are they really reflecting? What, what does that mean? This, this faculty member realized after taking these modules, I said, well, hold on a second. Through the process of prompt engineering and rewriting prompts and understanding that, oh, ah, I've asked ChatGPT to uh, explain this technical concept to a layman, and the result it gave me doesn't really sound right. Uh, so I redid my prompt, and that's a bit better, but the tone's wrong. So this is the process that the student's going through, right? And the faculty member said, well, actually, metacognition's occurring through this process. They're thinking about language, and this is a very useful tool. And, and it's enabled this to happen. And I think through our training, I suspect that this faculty member would have discovered this on their own, but at least our training uh, helped prompted them to think a little bit about prompt engineering. Yeah. So that would be an anecdotal example of how, how the trainings helped them. And I think in that process, it sounds like it's really created a more meaningful lesson for the student because you are naturally getting them to think about their learning, right? As opposed to saying, now reflect on this, yeah, right? which yeah. doesn't always work very well. Yeah. All right, so let's come back to the assessment piece. So yeah. innovation and education, right? One of the challenges here, and particularly with generative AI and how do we use this for assessments, I've also been looking a lot, and it's come up in several of my conversations for the podcast, at the World Economic Forum's uh, Future of Jobs report, right? And mm. the, uh, I don't, are you familiar with it? Have you? I'm familiar with it, but I, I think I have had the time to glance over it quickly. I haven't read it in detail, though. Yeah. So what's really fascinating about it, and I actually did a an episode specifically about this Future of Jobs report from the, the World Economic Forum, and the top six skills, top six things that employers are looking for. The, the top five are all basically cognitive skills, right? They are yeah. analytic thinking, creative thinking, uh, persistence, and lifelong learning. Adaptability. Yeah, exactly right. Adaptability, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. They didn't get to a technical skill, right, until number six. Um, how is the university looking at assessments now in terms of moving from knowledge-based assessment, that quiz, I, I go, oh, do you know this fact thing, versus how do I know if you're demonstrating curiosity, if you're demonstrating you know, persistence, creative thinking, analytical thinking, how are you measuring these things and how is uh, the tools ed tech stuff, technology potentially going to help there? Yeah, no, it's, it's a really good question. And I'll add to that, the, the taxonomy that World Economic Forum has developed, right? They've developed well, the a taxonomy for education. 4.0, yes. 4.0, right? And, and there they've listed, in my view, a really good definition of key competencies that are yep. required for the future of work, right? It's very similar and this is to the future of work report in a lot of exactly. the highlights, yep. And this is, and they're using language that both academics, students, and the commercial world professionals can understand, right? And I think that's key. So coming back to your question is how can we now 
make use of this report and this taxonomy, for example, these competencies, and implement it into our courses, assess students, and measure whether or not they're achieving these competencies. That, to me, is a bit more difficult. While, in principle, I agree with these competencies, and I'm, a, I'm actually pushing for this university to map these competencies to some of our courses, particularly our Common Core courses, uh, where we do uh, take on a competency-based approach to teaching and learning uh, because it simplifies the language and, and it's more relatable to real world. The question keeps on coming up, well, how do we measure this? How do you measure lifelong learning, a competency in that? How do you measure adaptability? How do you measure critical thinking? Because anyone you talk to across disciplines will say critical thinking is different. They view it as a different thing. What is critical thinking? What is creative thinking? Oh, man, I'm going to make you listen to part two to hear Sean's thoughts on how AI can help us with the assessment of durable skills. Dr. McMinn is a highly respected leader in this area of education innovation, so make sure you listen to part two. And you also get to hear me grill him on learning games and their part in the strategy to innovate and transition to more active learning pedagogies. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and share. We have more awesome guests with amazing stories of innovation in education that you don't want to miss. Please reach out if you have comments or suggestions. I'm Eric Byron. Thanks for listening. And thanks to all those education innovators out there. You are making a difference.